0: The second reading is from Romans chapter 5. This will serve as the basis for the sermon today. God demonstrates his own love for us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, Someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord.
1: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours in abundance through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every decade, trends change, and so do status symbols. But our status symbols that we latch on to and our own status, that is, where we stand in relationship to other people, depend On the eye of the beholder, wouldn't you say? A guy was down on his luck and needed money. He knocked on the door of a house. Ma'am, do you have any work for me? I need to earn some cash. She said, sure. Here's a can of yellow paint. You can paint the porch around back. He came back a couple hours later. She said, you're done already? Yep, but I have to tell you, it's not a Porsche, it's a Ferrari. Her status and status symbols were, in her view, her house and her car. For him, not so much. But our status in relationship with God is what counts the most we can take a look at our status symbols and figure that we're looking at them through human eyes and perceiving them with our human brain power, and we get from that maybe a sense of where we stand with others. But our Lord Jesus puts all of that into perspective when he said this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their own soul? Or what can a person gain and give in exchange for their soul? He also said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. When all is said and done, what really counts is not so much our standing, our status in relationship to other people, but our status with God, our standing in relationship to him. And in order to have certainty about our status with God, we need to root around in the Holy Scriptures to determine what he has to say about that. Sort of like opening up a dusty old big treasure chest and digging around in there to find a bazillion dollar diamond. When the dust settles, our status with God, this whole business about having status and standing with him can be summed up with one word. Reconciled. But that may be a term that's confusing to some and may even have veteran Christians at sea. For me to say that our status with God is summarized with the word reconciled might be as confusing as saying the incarnate second person of the Trinity satisfied God's justice by his active and passive obedience culminating in the vicarious atonement. His ex inanition, followed by his subsequent exaltation at the resurrection, underscore the certainty of universal and objective justification, which is the basis for our subjective justification and the continuing motivation for our sanctification. All of what I just said is true, but may not be so helpful if you don't know what the words mean. And so it is with this term, reconciled, to summarize our status with God. If you don't know what the word means, well, it won't really be so helpful. Look it up in the dictionary and you'll find something like this. Reconciled is a restored friendship. Well, that that helps a little. But if you really want to understand what reconciled means, then watch this rosebud labeled reconciled bloom in the magnificent paragraph we have before us today, which was the second reading you heard from the lectern in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 5. Our status with God equals reconciled. Let's say you are working in an office setting. You get to know most of the folks there. You get along with everyone fairly well, all except that one guy whose office is down the hall. It's just, you can hardly stand him. He's the kind of guy who thinks his jokes are funny and nobody laughs. So he tells the joke over and explains the punchline because he thinks nobody gets it. He's the kind of guy who stands by the coffee machine and insists that he's always right if there's a disagreement on how to spell or pronounce a word. He's the kind of guy who sits in a meeting and gives the distinct impression, it's my way or the highway. But in the other direction of that office hallway, around the corner, there is another colleague who works in accounting. She never gets on anyone's nerves. She has gained the respect from all the folks in the office by her consistent kindness, her quiet persistence in getting the job done, and in her willingness to help others. She always arrives on time. And when she heads to the coffee machine, she usually stops by and asks if, you can, if she can get you a cup. Now one day, you're driving home from work, and horror of horrors, there is a car accident just a couple cars ahead. You swerve and steer out of the way and are able to brake and get off and stop at the shoulder. You're first on the scene. You rush to see if you can be of any help. And then, shock of shocks, lo and behold... It's the two people that I just described from your office. They must be in some kind of a ride share. And then you realize that their car is about to burst into flame. They're trapped inside, and you only have time to rescue one of them. Whom will you rescue? The Apostle Paul said, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Someone always thinks they're right. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. The guy I described first, who always wants to come across that he's dead, right, may end up dead. Who wants to risk life and limb for a person like that? But even the more likable person, It's hard to envision someone giving up life and limb to save someone else. I know there are plenty of stories, I'm sure you've heard, of people who would rush into a burning building to rescue a friend. But even at that, those stories are rather rare. What's my status with God? What's your standing with God? Here's the shocker. Left on our own? all by ourselves, our status with God would be zero. I'm the guy who's irritating. I'm the one who, by my sins, each time I sin, spit in God's eye rather than bow before him in awe. I'm the guy he ought to sweep away with the back of his hand and kick into an eternal sinkhole. But that's what makes Jesus' death So radical. The apostle said this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then later on he says, While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. While we were his enemies. In the original language of the New Testament, there's two words for enemy. One term describes an enemy of the state, a public enemy, like a soldier in an opposing army. That would be an impersonal enemy. Of course, you don't know that person's name. But there's another term for a personal enemy, someone you know who has stolen your credit cards, punched you in the nose, slandered your good name, and won't do anything about it. That's what we were in relationship to God if left on our own. Personal enemies of God. But, but Jesus paid for all of that. He redeemed us by his blood. The apostle says he did this for us, in our place. Those spikes driven into his hands were meant for our, our arms and hands. The ton of guilt that he carried on his shoulders to the cross was meant for our shoulders. The emptiness he experienced on the cross, abandoned by his heavenly father, was meant for our hearts. But we have now, because of Jesus, friendship with God, a restored status, friendship with God. Our status with God equals reconciled. That's the meaning of that word. We are redeemed by the loving Lord. Here's a story that I'm guessing many of you know. There was a, an ungrateful, wayward son who grabbed his inheritance early, ran off and squandered it on foolish and sinful living, and he ended up on skid row. Pigs fared better in the muck and mire than he did. Totally penniless and guilty, he decided to return home. His status with his father, minus 273. Absolute zero. But the father accepted him, welcomed him, forgave him, and threw a party for him. Talk about a change of status. Some of you may know that in this story, which actually Jesus told in Luke Luke chapter 15, it's recorded, You may know that there's another brother in the story, an older brother. He remained at home, and when his younger brother came back, he didn't rejoice. He was filled with jealousy. Now, I'm going to add a little ending to this story, which is not in Jesus' account in the Bible. Let's say that the father died, and at the funeral, the older brother shoots off his mouth to the younger brother. And he says, well, you know, dad was kind of losing it at the end. He was getting senile. And even though he has restored your status in this family, he really didn't mean it. And you can't stay here and you're certainly not going to get any more of the inheritance. Now get out. And just like that, miracle of miracles, the old guy lying in the coffin comes back to life, sits up and says, I'm back. I heard that and I'm going to make sure that what I want to give to my younger son he really gets. Impossible, you say? Nothing is impossible with God. If Jesus stayed dead, we would start asking questions. We would start asking something like, "Well, I know Jesus gave me renewed status and cleared my cleaned my slate by his Death, But if he's still dead, is he still paying for my sins and not done yet? If he stayed dead, will my status with God renewed, will it last? If he stayed dead, will eventually my status revert to becoming God's personal enemy? Praise God, you and I never have to ask those questions. The apostle said this, Since we have now been justified, declared innocent by his blood, How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Because Jesus lives, we really live. Anybody ever said to you, get a life? Here's a way to respond. I've got one thanks to the living Lord Jesus, and you can have one too. You see, we know, because of what Jesus did, that we stand in a close relationship with God. By his death, we are redeemed, and our status is set. But by his life, that means it goes on, and it exists right now, our status with God. Right now, in this life, Jesus gives us power to overcome temptation. We don't have to sin. Right now, in this life, Jesus gives us a new role, a purpose in life, to honor God and let other people know how cool it is to have a friendship with God. Right now, in this life, the living Lord Jesus gives us resources and talents and income to serve him and others. Right now, in this life, the living Lord Jesus gives us a guarantee of life forever. Our status with God equals reconciled. That means that we are resurrected spiritually and eternally by the living Lord. A pilot was shot down in battle over a Pacific island. He bailed out and landed in a field of really, really tall grass. But he was certain that he had to stay down because the enemy might spot him and pick him off. So he waited until darkness, and at night he pulled out his pocket knife and cut blade by blade of grass and slowly crawled on his stomach, hoping to get to safety. But during the day, he kept his face down in the dirt and the mud because he could hear noise and machinery all around. He's worried about getting discovered. All he had to do was stand up And look around and realize that he was in the middle of a U.S. Army base. And he was safe all along. You've been down a path like that? Feeling all tight and bound and seeing only the problems of life. Crawling through the tall grass of sleepless nights. Keeping your head down during the day, hoping to make it to the next barely surviving the rat race and the commotion going on around you? What's needed is to look up and see the big picture. Here's what the apostle says. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Boast? Really? Listen to this. In the earlier part of this letter, the apostle wrote this. Where then is boasting? It's completely eliminated if we're talking about boasting in ourselves. On what principle of that of our doing things? No, but on the principle of faith. Yes, we conclude that a person is acquitted by faith completely apart from doing things. But then listen, in another letter he says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't boast in who we are, in our ability to gain status and standing with our God. That would be ridiculous. It can't be done. But we still boast in Jesus. So go ahead. Lift your heads, look around, see the big picture, see your God. He is not some generic, unspeaking, unfeeling, distant God. He's the only true God there is. Your Savior God, who has plunked you and me into his eternal army base, surrounded by his power, his presence, and his army of powerful angels. Our status with God, reconciled. And so we are rejoicing, boasting in the only Lord. A Lamborghini, a house with six bedrooms and four and a half baths, vacation home up north, a condo in Florida, the latest smartphone, a Rolex on the wrist. There's nothing wrong with having things, as long as they don't become your God. There's nothing wrong with status symbols in themselves. But status symbols change. Our status with God never will. We are reconciled to God. Amen.
0: The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor. And give you peace.